This is In the Trenches, Broadcast 3. Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's broadcast, I sit down with Al Pitampali, the founder of the Modern Meeting Company and the author of Read This Before Our Next Meeting. I actually sat down with Al back in December of 2012 and recorded this conversation, but that was before I had started this podcast. So if you're a reader of my blog at www.tommorcus.com, you may have already listened to this uh, conversation that we had. But for all the new listeners to this podcast, I decided the content is really just too good to pass up. So I remastered it as best as possible and put it into this episode. So again, I apologize that the quality isn't quite as good as the last episode. I didn't have all the equipment that I do now when I first recorded this. However, the content is killer and you'll be happy if you do stick around and listen to the whole thing. And without further ado, here's today's broadcast. Hey everybody, this is Tom Morcus here, and with us today is Al Pitampali. And Al is the founder of the Modern Meeting Company and a self-proclaimed meeting culture warrior. And he's on a mission to change the way organizations hold meetings, make decisions, and coordinate action. He is a published author. His book, Read This Before Our Next Meeting, was published by Seth Godin's Domino Project and during the week of its release, was the most popular Kindle book in the world. Uh, you could definitely learn a lot from this guy. Al has been featured in Forbes, The Telegraph, Huffington Post, CBS Money Watch, and many other publications. You can read his blog and find out more about him and his company at his website, modernmeetingstandard.com. Al is a sought-after speaker and writer and an all-around awesome guy. So, Al, thank you very much for being here. Hi, Tom. Great to be here. Awesome. So, Al, I'd like to start out by... Uh, Getting to know a little bit more about your background and how you became a meeting culture warrior. Well, I guess the, the, the natural place to start was with my first, uh, where, where I started career-wise, which is Ernst & Young. Ernst & Young is one of the big four accounting firms. I was what you call an IT auditor, which is as interesting as it sounds. <laughs> Don't want to bore you with the details of it, but what we did do is I was a client service guy. so. You know, every day I'd go to different Fortune 500 organizations all across the country, and I would talk to them. I would talk to them about what they're doing, their, the processes, and that type of thing. And the one thing I noticed was that there was just a whole lot of meetings going on. I mean, every single one of these organizations seemed to be meeting and meeting and meeting, and it concerned me because not a lot seemed to be happening inside of these meetings. So, you know, I became obsessed with this question, which is why do all of these organizations, and it seemed like all of them, have these terrible meetings, nobody seems to be getting anything done inside of them, yet everybody keeps doing it. So that became the driving force behind this obsession that I had uh, and to, to try to find a solution for it. That's awesome. Okay, so what you did was you identified where there was uh, something that was broken and you basically went about fixing it as best you could. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point, Tom, because, you know, the, the expression I always use, which is not mine, but it's, it's fish don't know they're in water, you know, and, and there's so many things that are broken in the world, but 
lot of times we don't see them as broken because we're just so used to them. They just show up to us as the way things are. And I think that um, some of the people that I really admire, the great thought leaders and authors, just were unwilling to kind of see something as the status quo and said, no, that's actually broken. And I think uh, we should do something about it. Yeah, exactly. So my question in that regard then is, what made you want to start your own company to fix that problem as opposed to, say, trying to fix it from inside another corporation or another company? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I didn't want to be consumed by the same matrix that I was trying to solve. <laughs> right. I mean, it turns out trying to do it on the inside out is, is just kind of a, a tough thing because in order to solve the meeting problem, you got to have a lot of meetings in order to try to solve it, so it's almost counterproductive. Um, so I did realize that as an outsider, I might um, have more pull. And one of the other things I realized is that, you know, there, there's this interesting dynamic that happens within organizations, uh, which is that it's kind of like, you know, your family. You know, if, you're, if your brother or your sister or somebody in your family tell, tries to give you advice, they kind of say, like, you know, get out of here. I mean, what are you doing? Right. You know, but if somebody from the outside tells you advice, and they have, you know, they have a book, and they, they're on the stage, they're like, oh, wow, that guy knows what he's talking about. And so I think that there's some real advantages to kind of being an outsider sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that kind of ties pretty well into this next question. You mentioned, you know, if you have a book and, and being an outsider with, with being a published author, it makes you uh, pretty well respected and, and then somebody that people respond to. Uh, I guess let's dig into that a little bit. You did get published by The Domino Project. And I'd like to hear that story a little bit more. Take it from wherever you want, and let's go with that. Sure. I mean, I, I um, the way I met Seth Godin, who is obviously the, the, the leader of the Domino Project, the one who founded it, um, as I'm, I'm sure your listeners or readers probably are aware, um, I, I met him because I did his six-month MBA program. And basically one day on his blog, I was a big fan of his, he wrote this post saying, don't go to business school. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting, so I, I read ahead, and he said, um, you know, consider going coming to my office instead, because he wanted to do this thing called a, uh, the alternative MBA, he would call it. Right. And for six months, he would uh, basically teach these, you know, the, the people that got into the program everything he knows about business, which if anybody knows who Seth Godin is, which I know you do, Tom, obviously, you're a big fan, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like, you know, going, getting invited to, to, to sit with Steve Jobs every single day for six months. I mean, it's not exactly. something that you, know, you really want to pass up. So I applied and I, I was lucky enough to get in. And so for six months, I really learned from this guy. I, I learned about business. I learned about life. I learned about, you know, how to uh, shift, you know, how to get over your fear and how to do things. And throughout that process, you know, something that I've always been interested in but I never thought was possible was writing a book. And Seth obviously has written something like 15 or 16 books at this point. Right. And, you know, I was like, well, wait a minute, that's a really interesting business because books are a business and they're a great marketing tool for your ideas. So, you know, I started thinking about, I started writing, I started getting pretty good at it. And, you know, a couple of years after when I found out Seth was starting the Domino Project, I had, you know, I had developed the skills. I had, you know, I had this idea for a book about meetings. And I pitched him, and, you know, I was lucky enough that he said, yeah. That's incredible. I love that story. So yeah. when you, so you went about creating Modern Meeting Company first, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, your, your organization, and, and, then, and then you wrote the book simultaneously as you were creating your company. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the way it worked was, 
you know, I was trying to, like I was telling you before, I was trying to get the attention of people inside of organizations and saying, hey, you know, I have these ideas on how you can hold better meetings, how you can change the culture of your organization. And it was hard. I mean, it was very difficult to kind of get attention to people because I didn't have a lot of, uh, of credibility at first, but I did get um, the chance to work with some small organizations. And I was really lucky to have gotten that experience. I was really able to cultivate and test some ideas and it worked. But I realized pretty early on that there's got to be something to propel this. And that's when I found out how valuable a book is. I mean, the great thing about a book is it spreads an idea almost better than anything I could think of. I mean, there's nothing more powerful. Every single one of your readers, listeners right now, and you yourself, Tom, has picked up a book, has read it, and has it's blown their mind and it's changed everything for them in that moment. And that's the power of a book. And so I decided to write one, and I'm lucky enough to work with people like Seth who knew how to get it to spread, and it did. And so with the book and the spreading of it, I was able to, um, you know, have opportunities to work with lots of bigger Fortune 500 organizations. And that was kind of the sequence of that. That's incredible. I totally agree with you, Al, on the, the topic of book being the best conduit for spreading an idea, if you will. And... Uh, mm-hmm. And and I think what's fascinating too is how you mentioned you know that kind of gave you the credibility to to reach more people and create a broader audience and and really interact with more companies and can you touch on that a little bit was that kind of a tipping point in your business at all did you notice that once you were published that it really changed things yeah it really did I mean it it you know I don't think it was the publishing that did it you know I think people kind of have this idea in their head that as soon as, and Seth will, will use that language, which is mm-hmm. as soon as I get picked by someone, like as soon right. as Penguin, you know, decides that this is my book, they will, uh, you know, I'll be famous or I will have the credibility I need. And I don't think it's what it was. I mean, what it was, was the spreading of the idea that gave me credibility, right? It didn't matter that it was published in so much that, because Seth is not this, you know, I mean, Dominant Project was him and like, you know, seven other people at sometimes it was just kind of him and someone else, uh, depending on the stage that it was in. Right. And he didn't do anything really, you know, except um, print the book, which he didn't do himself. I mean, he just got somebody else to print it. Right. right? And nobody knew, and not very many people knew what the Domino Project is unless you knew Seth, right? right. What the value of what Seth did was he, was he had this vehicle, he had this great asset, he had this tribe that he was able to share this book with. And what really gave me the credibility is when multiple people in an organization read my book and they turned to each other and they started talking about it and they realized, wow, you read that book too? Wow, that guy must kind of know what he's talking about. And that, I think, is the goal of anybody who wants to be an authority or have some credibility in any field is to get a small group of people who know about your work to start talking to each other about it because that's what gives you the credibility, not the stature of being published like so when it came to actually writing, and then also in terms of starting your own business, would you say that there were some fears or obstacles that you had to overcome, and how did you do that? Oh, it was incredibly, incredibly scary. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take the first one, which was writing the book. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not traditionally a writer. I mean, right. I was lucky enough to have started blogging um, a while back, and best move I've ever made because I hadn't written my entire life, but I started blogging every single day. And that really started to cultivate my writing skills, thank God, because 
by the time I wanted to write a book, at least, you know, I had some, some foundation there. But, you know, I can't tell you how, how much of a struggle it was to, to write a book because I had never wrote, written something longer than, you know, a couple blog posts, you know, saying some, some papers in high school and that type of thing. Right. But anyway, um, I, 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 well, the first draft I wrote said, um, he, 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 I mean, he, he, it, it's still traumatic. I mean, the email that I got back in return was just, was terrible. I mean, I wanted to cry. I think I did cry uh, a couple times. But, you know, two, three drafts. I mean, this guy is very nice, but he means business. I mean, yeah. he doesn't like them. He, he knows. I mean, he'll tell you. And, you know, right, right around the third draft or so, I, I really, it was a very frustrating process because you start to question whether this is something you can do or not. Yeah. You know? And I'll tell you how I overcame it was, which is kind of, I think it's kind of a funny story is, um, I was watching, you know, I, I was watching Jerry Maguire just came on as like on TBS because TBS plays it like every single, every single week. <laughs> right. And which is, which is one of my favorite movies. But if you remember how Jerry Maguire starts, um, start, Tom Cruise wakes up in the middle of the night and or this is in the beginning. He wakes mm-hmm. up in the middle of the night. He has his epiphany. He goes to the typewriter and he starts just kind of writing. Right. And he ends up with this manifesto. And in, in the middle of, in the middle of the night, he goes and he gets copies. And then he, he goes to his office and he distributes them in in all the the copies of his coworkers. And you know that was that was the beginning of the thing. And my such major feedback to me was that I didn't have a voice in my work. You know, my writing mm-hmm. lacked a voice. It wasn't kind of original. It, it didn't really have a clear direction. And when I, when I, when I was watching General Guy, I realized, well, wow, well, what if I just tried, instead of using my own voice, to use Jerry Maguire's voice, right? So mm-hmm. what I did, I, I actually Googled Jerry Maguire, the manuscript online, and it turns out that the very manuscript that you see in the, in, in Jerry Maguire, which you never, which you never actually know what was in it. Right. Cameron Crow, Cameron Crow, who actually wrote the movie, actually wrote out the entire the entire manifesto. It's like a <laughs> ten thousand doc page, uh, word document that's online. You can read it because he wanted Tom Cruise to know kind of what was in that mani- that, that manifesto, even though it was never published. Right. And so and so I read it and I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. I mean, this was it was like the right tone. It was exactly kind of the type of work that I wanted to do. So right. I used it as insp- I used it as inspiration. I started waking up at three o'clock in the morning, like really early. And I, and I would imagine myself as Jerry Maguire at the typewriter and I would just kind of write. And it's a true story. You know, after like a week and a half of doing that, I was like, you know what? I actually have something that's, that's pretty good here. And so I sent it off and, and Seth really liked it. And, and that kind of became the totality of the book. Um, so I guess, to answer the question, how did I do it? I think there's a couple lessons. One is obviously not to give up, but two is sometimes kind of pretending to be somebody else or just kind of, you know, people say like, uh, make it till you make it. I think there's some truth to that. I, I think really going, going outside of yourself and, and, and trying to do what you think you can, um, can be effective. So then that being said, digging back into that same topic in terms of overcoming your fear to start a business, I mean, that's kind of its own monster too and and i would i would surmise that it would be um as difficult if not a greater difficulty in just different different aspects or different areas yeah i mean it is i mean starting business is incredibly scary and it's it's you know i I have a startup right now and and things are going well but 
you know, there's always ups and downs. And so, you know, it's not for the weak at heart, for sure, entrepreneurship. But I think that, you know, the key is being so invested in something that it's worth it. And I'm really invested in this idea of helping organizations because I think that organizations have this incredible power to change the world. And I want to do my job, which is enable organizations to be able to fulfill their missions. And I'm really committed to that. So that kind of gets me through um, some of those ups and downs. But yeah, I mean, it's tough being an entrepreneur, but you know, I think so many people are unhappy with what they're currently doing. Um, whether they be, you know, at a corporation, organization, or whatever they're doing, maybe they're in school or something, and they're afraid of switching to, like, starting your own business. But I think you need to be more afraid of just staying where you are. And, and right. that's what I was. You know, I didn't like it. You know, at one point in Nursing Young, I, I really was not happy. And I was more afraid that I would die at that company right. than I would you know, the, the fear of, of being an entrepreneur. And I, I think once you start to play that trick on yourself, once you start to focus on the fear of, of being where you are instead of where you're afraid to go, you know, you start to light a fire. Totally agree. Did you jump all in, would you say, when it came to this, this transition? Um, sort of. I, I actually, I did try that a couple times um, where I jumped all in and, and I kind of developed the theory. There are two types of people. Mm-hmm. Um, especially entrepreneurs, there's one type is the one that should just cut themselves off from whatever they're currently doing and just go all in, right? Because right. The, the, the pain, like the fear of like not being able to pay your rent or, you know, being homeless, for example, right. will drive you towards success. But then there's the other type of category, the type, type of person I think that they don't really do well that way because when they go all in and they cut themselves off from, like, for example, their financial support, they become so, you know, unresourceful and they become so kind of, they start to freak out and they lack certainty so much that they're not able to be just defective. Right. I thought I was in the first category and I tried it a couple times and I realized I was that I was in the second category. And so um, I did a transition where I kind of was doing some freelance work for, for a while and kind of, you know, I had a part-time job for a while doing some things just to really have the type of financial support while I was, for example, doing some of the, the entrepreneurial things that, that, I, that were my dreams. So um, I think, you know, everybody needs to identify which one they are and kind of pick the path that's right for them. But, yeah, mine is the second, I think. Totally agree. Uh, sometimes you just got to test them out too, huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. I agree. What piece of advice would you give to an aspiring writer or an aspiring entrepreneur? Um, somebody just starting out or, or just starting to get their feet wet in either, either endeavor? Well, let me talk to the writer because I, I'm very interested in writing right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I just think that the most, it sounds so simple, but the most important thing you have to do is you got to write. And you've got to turn pro, as, as Stephen Pressfield will tell you. And exactly. I know you're a big fan of Stephen Pressfield. But, you know, this idea that if you're a writer, then your job is to write. And every single day you have to write. You have to write a certain number of words. And sure, you'll fall off sometimes. But you have to be concerned with quantity over quality, especially in the beginning. And, you know, if you if there's a hump that you'll get over if you, if you, do, if you turn pro for long enough or writing becomes a lot easier, just like talking becomes easier um, at a very 
early stage in our life. And until you get over that hump, you're going to be really frustrated. So become, become a pro as soon as you can. Turn pro and write as much as you can until you start, uh, you, you start getting good at it. And the, the one last thing I'll say about that was a great insight from, uh, his name is escaping me right now. The guy who, uh, the guy from NPR who, Ira Glass. Ira Glass. Yeah. Ira Glass had this, Ira Glass had this great interview on YouTube that uh, I thought was a brilliant insight, which is that when you're in any type of creative field, um, what you realize is that the reason why you're in that creative field is because you really like what you're doing. You really like, like, for example, it's writing. You really like writing. And you're really good at knowing what good writing is. Right? Or else you wouldn't like it. I mean, you're a connoisseur of good writing. But the problem is when you first start to write, um, your, your taste, you know, you, what you're doing, your work product doesn't match the level of your taste. You get really frustrated because your work sucks, but you have really great taste in writing. It's just not your own. <laughs> so you have to get past. You gotta keep doing and, and, and dealing with your bad stuff until the work product, the quality of your work matches kind of, uh, your own personal taste. I love that. I had actually never heard of that, but I'm definitely going to take some notes on that and kind of reflect on that for a while. I think that's something I could use myself, uh, just being super critical of my own work. You know, mm-hmm. that's awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I, the, the one thing that I, that I often think about is this, is that I've been very uh, lucky in some of the things that have happened over the last couple of years. I mean, getting my book published, for example, by the Domino Project, which is incredible, and it was a, it was a major milestone for me. And I will, I'll be the first person to admit the luck of that. The one thing that I do um, constantly think about is the fact that when I happened to be in the presence of Seth um, when he was starting the Domino Project, when he's starting the Domino Project, I had already been working on that book, and I already had a proposal before I even knew that the Domino Project existed. Right. And it, it was, it, I, and I think to myself, wow, had I never decided to actually write a book, then it, I would have never been where I needed to be in order for that to have worked. You know what I mean? Like, for, like if I had come up to Seth and said, hey, by the way, I, I really want to write a book, for example, um, I'd love for you to consider, you know, me. He would have just looked away, right? Because the universe just doesn't reward this kind of wish-washiness, right? I think what was really valuable, and again, I think about this a lot, is the fact that I had decided to write a book, and not only did I decide I wanted to write a book, I already knew what book I wanted to write, or at least the, the idea for it. And that's critical because when you walk around the world, it's there's so many people that are willing to help people who have already decided, but there's most people will turn a blind eye to people are still kind of on the fence. So the most important piece of advice I can give anybody that's listening is decide, you know, make a decision as to what direction you want to go in because as soon as you do and you commit to it, the entire world will kind of organize in a way that, that, that'll help you. And that doesn't guarantee success, but it makes it a lot more likely. That is excellent. Thank you so much, Al, for being on the show today and and talking a little bit with us and taking a ton of notes and I'm going to write them up and they should be in the show notes online um, at my website, tommorcus.com. Check out the website and then check out Al's stuff. Check out his book too. Read this before our next meeting. You can find it on Amazon and uh, check out his website. Again, that's modernmeetingstandard.com and you can uh, subscribe to his blog. It's uh, really, really good.
and uh, I think everybody should check it out. So thank you, Al, for talking today, and yeah, man, just good luck with everything. Yeah, it's a, it's a real pleasure, Tom. I mean, I, I, I read your blog. I, I love it. I'm a big fan. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Al. All right, man. I'll catch up with you later. And that wraps up In the Trenches, Broadcast 3 with Al Petampali. To find the show notes, just go to www.tommorcus.com backslash broadcast 3. That's the number 3. I hope you enjoyed this broadcast of In the Trenches as much as I did. And until next time, this is Tom Morcus. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorcus.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.